DJ Simulationistas, sup, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Welcome to DJ Simulationista Sup. You're here with Janice Pelaganis and Dan Raymer. Hello, Janice. Sup. So, Dan, I really enjoyed our meeting this morning about research. For our listeners out there, I'm at the point where we are trying to determine the best research, and I've been just kind of picking Dan's brain about this. And I'm thinking there are other people. In the field of simulation, in at least in my past experience working in simulation centers, um, everybody's always thinking of research and trying to figure out a way to publish um, what they've been doing. And I thought there were some really awesome points that you brought up for me, Dan, uh, that would be great to share with everyone. Yeah, that sounds like uh, that sounds like it would be good. I think we came up with some. Really good notions about planning a research project, and uh, they're probably generic enough that people could benefit. You know, you know what I'm thinking. Like, even just having that conversation with you was really motivational for me as a researcher, and it's just kind of creating in my mind like different pathways of excitement toward research that I didn't have before talking with you. So even just that process of talking with someone who's done a lot of research for any researcher is fantastic. I, I, I agree with you when you whenever you know whenever you're involved in something and you're kind of down in the weeds about it and it's sort of overwhelming and you feel inhibited if you can just talk about it to mm -hmm. uh a third party who's not involved and who has no axe to grind uh suddenly you find your own thoughts clarifying and you can you know the process of articulating your goals and your plan uh makes it all clearer to yourself and right. the other person the third party can just you know, say a handful of words, and they really help you move your uh, move your agenda along. So this is interesting because I've never had this kind of algorithm of how I choose research studies, and you're making you're bringing to light some of the steps that I do take that I never really thought about before. So the first is you know speaking with someone like you who I'm close with that has done a lot of research just to get an initial kind of reaction, and then. What I love doing next is talking with statisticians or, you know, people that are in the detailed work of the analysis because they always give very like checklisty type thoughts that I wouldn't have thought about. The third step is working with someone with fresh eyes that could then say, oh, that's interesting. What about this? And they kind of bring more light into it. And it's always um, an interesting process of just talking with certain individuals in that, you know, design process. Yeah, I, I, that sounds like a pretty reasonable uh, approach. You make me think about what is the role of the 
um, kind of third party that you're presenting to. And that happens to me actually uh, quite a bit. People will say, oh, I'm interested in doing research and I uh, have an idea and they kind of present it to me. And so I never thought about it before, but now I'm thinking, you know, what is my role there? And, mm-hmm. and so I realized that when you presented your project to me, the thing that I asked you, and maybe this is out of habit, is is the question you're asking in your research an important one? Yeah. You know, are people in the world, kind of big picture, interested in finding out the answer to the question you're posing? Yeah, and I love that you went straight there because I think most novice research groups or simulation centers, at least when I started in research, one of the motivating factors around research is the actual publication and adding to people's CV and adding credibility to your center and adding credibility to the faculty. I've been in so many meetings in my, you know, kind of novice research days of What is the lowest hanging fruit that we could just get a publication out of? And the question is never that interesting. And so you see in the literature the the abundance of pre and post tests of things that have already been studied time and time again. We've got tons of evidence around that. You know, there are other areas that are the field has grown that we have to start studying that is going to take a lot more work than a pre and a post test. And so I loved your thoughts around low-hanging fruit. Actually, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I want you to share exactly what you said to me. So uh, so I didn't say this to you earlier, but when I hear that term, low-hanging fruit, the image that comes into my mind is <laughs> Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And, and that apple, we know that apple is full of badness. And, and so when someone says, uses that, that expression, low-hanging fruit, I cringe because I know that they're just asking for trouble. There mm-hmm. is no such thing as low-hanging fruit in research, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that no, no research is easy. Research requires a lot of discipline. It requires you to really be asking an important question. Mm-hmm. If, if it's so easy and obvious that it's just hanging there in front of you, it can't be much of a question. And it can't be that important a question in my view. So, so I always try to dissuade people from, uh, from believing that just because they're doing something, they can, they can, you know, slap some research on top of it and get a publication out of it. That's really not a very good motivation that's going to inspire them to do really fine research with an excellent research design and an important outcome in the end. One of the things that we talked about this morning is also something that I I don't think I really thought about explicitly before. And, you know, we were kind of talking about the difficulty of doing something. It, it strikes me that the quantity of work isn't really the true measure, but that the, the true measure of what it takes to do research is discipline. And so discipline in the sense that you need to decide 
on a very strong research design, which in my view, the important studies are experimental, that they actually compare uh, an intervention with uh, a control activity, that there's uh, uh, a randomly selected pair or however many groups that the groups are of sufficient size to show an important difference. All of those characteristics define a good research design. And the thing that's so hard about it when you actually go to implement it is maintaining discipline about it. Invariably, questions come up as you're conducting the study that offer you shortcuts or this will be okay or this participant didn't participate in the way we expected and so we'll just kind of gloss that over. You're constantly faced with, you know, maintaining the discipline and the sanctity of the research design. And I think that's what's really hard about doing research, not the quantity of work that it takes. Well, I think it's it's the design. To me, it's not the discipline. Like, I feel like I could have the discipline. It's it's having the expertise in, in the actual design and what to do and knowing and the resources, knowing who to go to when the unexpected things come up during the actual research implementation. I'm having this, you know, after reading The Half-Life of Facts and just looking at all of the literature that's out there now on on the flaws of experimental research and just research in journals and medical research, I have a skepticism about research these days. The fact that there's so much bias. And so I think the more difficult part about research at least medical research and in what we do in simulation is the ethics around it and just being really reflective of yourself and your biases and knowing when you're seeing what you want to see and when you need to bring in other resources to help you think about what you're not seeing. I don't, I forget what book that is where surrounding yourselves with enemies is so important to the field and to knowledge you know, surrounding yourselves with people that don't agree with you and bringing them into the research so that you have all those different perspectives and you can come up with what the best possible truth to that outcome or that study that you possibly can can create. Th- those are such great points, Janice. The ethics of research, if you want to call it that, or the mm-hmm. discipline to maintain the control of the variables, I think is just the hard part. So designing a research study that has a strong design, that has a very large, uh, sufficiently large pair of groups or set of groups, that's hard to do and hard to maintain. Choosing people to be involved in your research who are the iconoclasts or the naysayers, I love that. That's just a great way to keep yourself honest. And, and a, lot of, a lot of research is about honesty. You know, people say that you can 
prove anything you want to prove. Right. And I think that's true if you're willing to break down those barriers of discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, that if you're willing to sort of fudge things and cheat on things and do your study and argue that, oh, I can't do it as well as I should because of practical considerations, for example, that often comes up. Holding yourself accountable to that is really hard. Because mm-hmm. you do have to balance the practical and the the purity of your study, and so I think that's I think your ideas about the ethics of this is is really really important. So the the evil apple fruit <laughs> is actually yourself, because most people get into it because they're told they have to publish, or you know, there's there are different reasons, and if you could realize what that apple is and change it and change your focus and dedication to the actual question that could impact other people and learning and, you know, create the better the better outcome. I think it's a little bit like advocacy inquiry. If you can't ask a question that you are seriously interested in finding the answer to, mm-hmm. If it's something you already know the answer to or think you know the answer to, it becomes really hard to ask a good question. And the same thing is true of research. If you already think you know the answer to the question you're asking and you're not really that interested in the question, you're just interested in getting a publication, the likelihood that you're going to be able to maintain the discipline and the and the true honesty and the uh, the ability to bring people in who will challenge your biases, I think that, you know, it's not going to be very worthwhile, well done, important research. And you'll be able to prove whatever you want to prove. So if you see a fruit and you know it's an apple, don't pick it. Pick a banana (laughs) instead. I like bananas. They're the perfect fruit. They come in their own wrapper. A different color banana. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Dan. I think this is great. Okay. Thank you, Janice. It's always fun talking to you. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for listening. DJ Simulationistas. What's up? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.